Alrighty, welcome, Peter. Welcome, Doug. Uh, this week we are going to be doing um, the 2012 science fiction film Dread, not to be confused. Rocky Balboa. With he, Judge he Dredd, was very, right. Judge, <laughs> wait, which one were we supposed to watch? <laughs> the good one. <laughs> well, I'm happy to say that I'm glad there is a good one. Because if you were, you know, if you were just a priori, you know, they're making Judge Dredd movies, right? You'd think like there would be no good one. Well, and it, I have to tell you that... Uh, I'm a pretty big Judge Dredd fan. I mean, I've read a lot of Judge Dredd comics and graphic novels, and I've read some of the novel novels too. They made and novel novels. Yeah, there's a, there's some there's some Dredd novels that are pretty good. Um, I bet the I bet the story involves the Judge Dredd being really ruthless and killing people. <laughs> it's funny, how'd you know? Uh, <laughs> but I I mean I'm a pretty big Judge Dredd fan, and I cannot. I cannot get through the 95 movie. Like, I just can't get through it. Yeah. Like, it's a good uh, thing we watched the it, good it, one. It, it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the Star Trek 2009 film uh, in the sense that, like, they used words from Star Trek and they used the names <laughs> of the characters from Star Trek, but in no other way, shape, or form did it resemble prior Star Trek that made people like Star Trek. And that's kind of how I feel about uh, Judge Dredd. Like, they kind of, they kind of didn't really understand the character or the world or the comic. You know what I'm saying? Like they kind of got, like they almost got every last thing wrong. Um, you are speaking about pretty much the most popular Star Trek movie from 2009. <laughs> I know. Which everybody loved. Uh, well, everybody under the age of 21. Um, but no, we're <laughs> talking today, we're talking about the excellent... 2012. Uh, Pete Travis, Alex Garland, 2012 Starring uh, not Sylvester Stallone, right? And not Carl Urban, and notably Olivia Thirlby, um, yes, who, was, who I remember from Juno. She played Juno's best friend in Juno. Um, but uh, so I guess before we get into this, I mean, I've tipped my hand a little bit. Are you? I mean, had you read a lot of the Dread Universe? Had you sort of were you familiar with it? I read the or comics. No? Like, well, well, we were in high school. I read the comics, but that that's the last time that I had anything to do with Judge Dredd. Um, so, yeah, I read a bunch of the comics, but, you know, many years ago. The comic and is 40 years old. The comic yeah. starts in 77. I didn't I didn't kind of get into Dredd until, I don't know, maybe the last 10 years or so. Isn't it uh, and British? I never read it growing up. Is it British? From what I remember, it's British, or isn't it like... Yeah, because it comes from um, it comes out of a magazine called 2000 AD, which I, I'm pretty sure uh, you can get in the U.S., but it's it's based out of England. Yeah, I kind of remember. So Dread was Dread was like a character or like a strip in 2000 AD that sort of became right. wildly popular and then sort of spun off into his own comics and own sort of world. Right. It was kind of like um, depressed. Uh, declining post-war Great Britain. Well, no, it takes place in the U.S. I'm pretty sure that even the even the really, really, really early ones in Judge Dredd, it is the U.S. Right, but they're British. But it's a British cons- uh, cons- construct. It's a it's it's a British strip. You know, they, yeah, they no, geographically it's a British located. Strip. And, they located and, here, but it's it's right. it sort of came out of mis- you know unrest in Britain. 
And if you read the, if you, like, you can go, you can buy, for example, you can buy these very, like, thick volumes of Judge Dredd anthologies. And I have, I have a couple of them. And if you go back and you read, like, the very, very, very first Dredd strips, they're very short. You know, they were just a few pages in the magazine. And then they, right. over time, got longer and longer and expanded into sort of full comics. Right. Um, Came out around the same time as the uh, Sex Pistols. Yeah, well, you know, it's sort of like all right, uh, unrest in England in the seventies amidst political yeah. and social turmoil. Um, right, and this is this is really. I mean, you could. It's so paranoid. I mean, you can sort of obviously tell that something this miserably dystopian is gonna is only gonna seem appealing to somebody that feels that there's sort of a real lack of control or they beat down them, by the system. Yeah, I mean, they see themselves as as uh, of, you know and potentially uh, victimized by anyone living any in time. mega city one. Right. right. And they're totally vulnerable and they're living in mega city one. And although it's interesting Dredd that is, they made the hero, the cop, you know what I'm saying? Like you could see, you would expect in that time they might've made the hero some sort of like counterculture person or rebel, but the hero is the cop killing people. Yeah. But he's not like any cop you've ever seen. I mean, he's, he's so, uh, he's this, he's super, clean super judgmental uh and well I mean, and and dread is in the comic supposed to be sort of revered by judges and villains alike like they really they really fear him yeah um uh, you he's, know in the in the judge the dread movie in the judge dread movie the the bad movie <laughs> like what's interesting is you know, it, it came out in 95, and it, it's kind of like done as a goof. Now, and again, the, car, the comics have some sort of, sort, of, sort of slapsticky aspects to them sometimes, but it, a lot of it is yeah. done as a goof. But they really did not get the feel, like Rob Schneider is in it, Jesus. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like they just didn't really understand the character or the world he lived in. And, and I don't know if you know this, but in the comic, Dread never removes his helmet ever, right. except for one time. Um, and it, you know, it just goes without saying that Dread will never, ever, ever, ever be seen without his helmet. And in the '95 film, he is without his helmet for long passages of time. You could imagine, you know, Stallone said, "I'm not going to be in a movie if I can't show my face." So, you know, right. to accommodate Stallone, I imagine they had him take his helmet off, but. You know, like it basically, like the minute they did that, they lost everybody who was their target audience. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just well, such a, f a core and fundamental error. Sure, and, that and they also alienated the also audience. Dread. They they had dread run up the steps of the Philadelphia Art Museum, which also was a requirement <laughs> from Stallone's contract. Yo, Judge Anderson, <laughs> it made no sense. What's it? Just didn't fit. Uh, you know, by the way, in the comic, Dredd removes his helmet exactly one time. Um, and it's done as kind of a throwaway gag. Um, mm -hmm. And it's shown from the back. So you only see the back of his head and you see like the people in front of him kind of gasp in horror. <laughs> and like it's it's sort of implied that his face is just sort of mangled from years and years of violence. But you don't know. Like you never actually see. Mm -hmm. Dread's face in the comic one time, but the closest you come is you see the back of his head once. If you Google it, that picture comes up. If you type like Dread without helmet, like you get that picture. It's um, like uh, Darth Vader. Right, right. Who did actually see, I guess? He became Anakin again. Um, but let's get back. Let's get to this movie. Um, you know, it's funny it's because I, I did not 
see this in the theater. Like I was so put off by the 95 version uh, that when this came out, I just kind of like it came and went and a friend of mine got it on DVD and he loaned it to me. And uh, he really urged me to watch it. And I, he, I borrowed it. And then after like a week, I just hadn't gotten it back to him. And then he got kind of mad at me. And he was like, you, you know, like you're making a mistake. You have to watch this. And then I was like, fine. And I just kind of <laughs> put it on in a resigned way. And I watched it and I finished it. And then I went right back to the beginning and I watched it again. I was so impressed by it. Hmm. I watch it because you told me to. This is right. the second time I've seen it. And I liked um, it even better this time because I, I remembered I remembered the basics, but I didn't remember the details. And uh, I, I, and I it's think really it really good. does get better on subsequent viewings. And I've never it seen does. it in 3D. You know, it was released in 3D, uh, mm-hmm. but I've only seen it on TV. Uh, and you can you can sort of see like all the slow mo scenes are done for 3D. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never, I've, I, so I've never actually seen it the way it's meant to be seen. But, you know, as you would say, to to once again steal your phrase, what am I going to say? You know what I'm going to say. No. It's a greased rail, this movie. Oh. Right? The entire movie is, is, right? What a great and Anderson are in peach trees, and they've got (laughs) to kill all the bad guys. Like, that's the whole movie. Yep. There is, there's no complex plot. I mean, the biggest plot twist is that there's a little bit of corruption, which is incredibly unsurprising. Uh, you would expect, <laughs> you know, like if there wasn't any corruption in this world, this is about, this is super dystopian. I mean, this, the only thing, I mean, what's grimmer, what's at this level of, of grim intensity, right? Maybe like the road warrior. Mad Max yeah, and, too, and, you know? and there's a lot of Blade Runner in here too. There's a Even lot of Blade, Blade Runner. Runner looks pleasant compared to this. Uh, I mean, this is, I don't this know. Pretty, I don't know. I mean, like. I don't think I'd want to live in Dreadland or, uh, you know, Blade Runner's Los Angeles, either way. At least his uh, apartment's I, I, I okay. Might, I might bug out for the off-world colonies in, in Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, me too. I hear that a new life awaits me, yeah. a golden land of opportunity and adventure. At least that's what the blimp told me, so I don't know. Maybe I'd, maybe yeah, I'd head out. At least you'd get a good bowl of noodles in Blade <laughs> two, Runner. Two dumplings. <laughs> but, like, this place, I don't even think... I think the only thing you can get is like a grilled cheese sandwich. This is this is pretty grim. <laughs> so there's kind of like um you know, there's just a little bit like the the dread comics have a lot of sort of like rye and black humor, and there's just a little bit of it here. And like for example, um like you're talking about like the grilled cheese sandwich, you know, like there's there's sorts of jokes in the comic about what they eat and everything is like soy or like, you know, you know, kelp base you know like because they've got nothing like they they talk they call it the cursed earth like everything is a wasteland right it's a malthusian Uh, universe there's a little bit of that like for example when the the when the guy falls to his death and they're cleaning up the lobby of peach trees you know it's like the cafeteria will open in 30 minutes you know like (laughs) there's a little bit of that kind of black humor there but not much like they for the most part they play it pretty straight um and sort of the you know the the there's really two stories going on is one is the 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 judges versus the mama clan and mm-hmm. the other is dread is evaluating or judging essentially or grading anderson right and it, there's a sort of a little bit of maybe change in cultural change or sort of progress happening because she's supposed to represent some new this this new 
mutants that are showing up somehow. Well, right. Well, they've always had mutants, and the mutants figure big in the comics, but uh, like there's kind of a psychor, and there's a whole series of graphic novels about the psychor, but. Anderson is supposed to be kind of like one of the most powerful psychics that they've ever seen. So she's sort of special in that way. And they make allowances for her sort of other things about her that they don't like. You know, by the way, you know, there's a lot of good interplay in the movie about how he's much older and more experienced. But she also has skills. Um, And again, I'll stop talking about the comics in just a second. But one of the coolest things in the comic is when a year passes in real life, a year passes in the comic. So the comic is in its 40th year. So Dread is 40 years older than when the comic started. And there's hmm. overt talk about, like, maybe he's too old now. Like, it's kind of a clever way for them to do that. You know, like, Batman and Superman, they don't age. Like, Dread ages every year. Right. Which is kind of, a, I think, a clever a clever angle to add to the story. That um, is. I think they imply, this, that she's a, they imply that she's – they imply that somehow – She's kind of a new thing, and right, they're they're cutting, they're giving her latitude because she borderline failed out of the academy. But because she's a, she has this these psychic abilities, right, which they want and need, right. And um, they they see her as potential game changer, I guess. And um, so so the setting is Mega City One is basically like a large portion of the East Coast of the U.S. Like the sprawl, as you would say, in the right, like, and it's uh, very, very similar to the sprawl in just the, worse. In the uh, Gibson verse. It's just, uh, I mean, it's it's hideously uh, awful, though. Um, basically, it's a crime-ridden metropolis, huge metropolis, and uh, it's gotten so bad that the judges ride around on fat, tired motorcycles. <laughs> Do you know what the motorcycles are called? I can't remember. Lawmasters. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and the that's the gun right. is the lawgiver. Yeah, and they they basically they'll judge uh, crimes on the spot and impose punishment. And punishment is ranges from really harsh to in, instant execution. Right, um, right. It's usually like some version of death, 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 or if you're really lucky, like some sort of solitary confinement. Yeah, like jaywalking is like ten years in right, ten years in the ISO cubes. Perp. Yeah. <laughs> and um and and they you know the the people live in blocks right which are huge skyscrapers that are referred to as blocks that are um, sort of internally their their own little town basically right and you could the, the implication is you could grow up go to school find a job and live in the block your whole life yeah except that you there know, probably I, aren't too many jobs right and, and for example peach trees the block that this takes place in Peach Trees is, I think they explicitly say that it's 200 stories. Yeah. And it's an awesome name. I think that the name comes from a restaurant that they went to. It's great. I think that they took the name Peach Trees from like a restaurant that the writers were going to. I remember reading that somewhere. I mean, they couldn't Um, have picked a better name for a really horrible dystopian urban mega complex. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure that it was a... the, a restaurant that they went to. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and they're making this drug there, right? Mama is basically like a prostitute turned, you know, crime gang boss. leader, crime boss, right? She's the Tony Soprano of uh, North Peachtree's. Um, and, uh, she's you know, she's basically scary. making the drug slow-mo, which is essentially a play on meth, right? Meth makes everything faster. Slow-mo makes everything slower. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if slow-mo would be fun. I couldn't decide watching it if slow-mo would be fun. It didn't look so fun. They don't really use it. I mean, it, it, I guess people want to do it, so it's got to be fun in some way. But when they throw you out of the courtyard which and give you a hit of slow-mo, which they do about 10 right. times. And you know? skin you. Right. Just, I mean, it just uh, it clearly prolongs your agony, physical right. and mental. Your, your, your fall takes four weeks. <laughs> it's like relativistic. And the final scene with Mama actually is the same way, right? Because she, she, <laughs> her fall is very slow. Right. Um, and we have uh, Carl Urban, who played McCoy in the horrible 2009 Star Trek movie and its sequels. Right, and he's uh, been in a Dredd. bunch of TV and, and he a bunch of honestly stuff. he does a very good job in this, I think, because he takes the character so seriously mm-hmm. and doesn't play him as kind of a buffoon or like a martinet. Like, like you get the sense that he really is a believer in what he's doing, and he understands mm-hmm. that he has to be sort of tough and ruthless and violence, you know, violent in his job, but he's okay with it because he believes he's doing the right thing for Mega City One, right. He's a truly is a kind of a heroic character, you know. I mean, that's that's what makes the movie work because he's um, he's uncompromising, but you can. And, but his and the way he calls out, good. for example, the the corrupt judges at the end, like he just has, he's just he's just dripping with contempt for them. Yeah, like like we're all in this terrible situation together, and you guys sold out for some money, right? And, you know, he does. And he said he, he's, you know, it's funny because he's disappointed, but he's not even surprised by the corrupt judges. <laughs> not even remotely. But he, he never hesitates to risk his own skin. He, he, try, he, he really, he's unflappable. He, he is, he's heroic. I mean, he's always he, trying to do the right thing. And they convey sort of over and over in the movie that he's he hasn't done this sort of thing one time. He hasn't done it a hundred times. He's done it thousands of times. And for example, yeah. like the scene where he says to her, like, what's your sentence? You know, like, look, we just shot up these guys. You know, like, let's have a right. sentence. Right. Let's 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 reach a verdict here. You know, like he's he's able to sort of like both prosecute the crime against the mama, uh, prosecute his action against the mama clan. And teach her at the same time. Like, it's very easy for him to sort of keep all the balls in the air. Yeah, he's a pro. Yeah. And and she's really good, too. So that's Olivia Thurlby, mm-hmm. who I'm surprised hasn't been bigger, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, she's, in many ways, I think she's the heart of this movie. Because if it's just him alone shooting people up, it doesn't have the sort of, like, depth and nuance. But, you know, she gives the movie sort of a whole other level of vulnerability that he can't bring to it. Yeah. You know, and like honestly, I find his training and evaluation of Anderson more interesting than the whole mama story. Yes. Yeah. And you really um, used, cause you're really rooting for her. And I mean, they didn't even really need to have her be a psychic. It, it, the movie would have been great just the way it was. It just right. adds a little more dimension when she's interacting with the villains. And again, to have Judge Anderson not be a psychic is like having Dredd take his helmet off. Like, it's just woven through every aspect of the comics that Judge Anderson is a psychic. Like I said, she even has her own novels. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, what's interesting is that, the you know, they could have used Judge Anderson at a much later point in her career, but they kind of go all the way to her beginning where she's, you know, just coming out of training. Mm-hmm. 
right? Which is a very good choice because then it makes the whole dynamic between them much more interesting. And, you know, the, just the fact that she can't wear a helmet and she's mm-hmm. so physically unimposing compared to him. Mm-hmm. You'd think they could design it. I mean, you know, this gun is is, is super fancy. His, his motorcycle is, you know, and they can't design a helmet that's, you know, like carbon fiber or something. Listen, you don't know anything about side powers, okay? Like, that's just how they work. <laughs> like, like kryptonite, side powers, like, don't argue with it. <laughs> like, because the truth of the matter is, you can have one of the main characters not show her face. You can't have them both. Well, yeah. Especially right? if you have an attractive female. Right, exactly. And she's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, and you know, she does a lot of running around and kicking and physical stuff in this. Enough to convey to the viewer that she's physically tough and up to the rigors of being a judge physically, at least. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know. And, you know, it makes you wonder if she's supposed to sort of barely marginally have failed. I wonder what the people who pass with flying colors, they must be unbelievably frightening. Because she's pretty good, (laughs) right? She can basically shoot up people pretty well and, you know, she she punches way above her weight class, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, granted, she she's a, she's shrimpy next to Dread, but but everybody's anyway. supposed to be shrimpy next to Dread. By the way, do you know who Dread's? Do you know what Dread's look comes from? So Dread's look is uh, completely ripped. Like I don't mean Dread in the in the movie, Dread in the comics, which the mm-hmm. movie is based off of. Dread's look in the comics is David Carradine in Death Race 2000. Hmm. Like, if you wa- if you look at even the poster or just watch, like, just Google a few images from Death Race 2000, like, David Carradine, like, it's almost the same. And they basically, like, in the early comics, they ripped it directly from Death Race, and they've sort of modified it over the years, but that's where the look comes from. And in the, you know, in the 1995 movie, they made the mistake of, aping the comic look which is a kind of like an over-the-top look which a real person couldn't really walk around and whereas in this movie they gave the judges a much more functional looking sort of leather leather garb as opposed to like the sort of ser- sort of silly like martinette look that they have in the comics sometimes well, yeah. um and then cersei lannister is the head of the mama clan right Wait, what is she again? I don't remember. <laughs> She's Cersei Lannister. It's, it's Lena Headley. She, I can't believe you don't know that. She's Cersei on Game of Thrones. Oh, no. I, I never, I'm, I haven't watched it. Oh, wow. Uh, well, anyway, well, she plays. Uh, she's You're the, the one that usually doesn't watch TV shows. <laughs> I know. She's kind of the baddie. She's the main female baddie on uh, Game of Thrones. Right. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because, you know, like, I think what's interesting about Mama is that they you know, they portrayed her as so hideous looking. I mean, Lena Hetty is a really attractive woman, you know, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people remember her from Game of Thrones or, or 300 where she played uh, Queen Gorgo. But, you know, it's interesting is that they, you know, they do her all scarred up and awful looking. I think she's mm-hmm. doing a fair bit of slow-mo too, it looks like, the way she's pronounced in this. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of, you know, she's just, you know, she's sort of dreads mirror image you know she's as committed to her enterprise as he is yeah she's pretty ruthless she's a sort of a classic ruthless villain um classic uh, crime boss 
And both of them will kind of do whatever it takes. Right. But, you know, I think what's so good about this movie is that they don't kind of go where you think it's going to go. And, like, they could have made this kind of a straight dumb action movie. And it's really not. And, like, I kind of feel like the opening scene where he shoots up the van full of guys. I mean, that's sort of like a sort of a mindless scene that I think – they threw in to almost get it out of the way, like to very, very quickly establish who Dread was and have some action and some 3D crap. And then they kind of could get down to the story. But the actual story itself, like it's a very lean and dark sort of spare story about the two of them just running through this building and counting obstacles at every angle with essentially no help at all from the citizens of Peachtrees. Um it's totally and, enclosed. You know, it's it's so claustrophobic. I mean, that the scene in the beginning with, with a car chase is the only thing where anybody gets to stretch out, you know, at all. Right, except, except for the kid, except for the skateboarders on the ledge. Right, and when they end up on the ledge, they're outside for like ten minutes. Right, you know. <laughs> right, um, but you know, like it's done in such a tense and taut way. Like honestly, you know, I'm going to borrow your phrase. This movie punched above its weight class. Like this is honestly, yes, this is a B movie that really kind of hit a quality status. Right. It looks good. It feels, it feels claustrophobic. It doesn't feel, and all the sequences and the action sequences and the fighting sequences feel real. And, and the dialogue uh, is very spare and to the point. The, like, right. there's not a lot of exposition. You know, they have the um, the Don Hall Gleason character, the sort of computer whiz. Uh, mm-hmm. He gives a little bit of exposition, and the the guy who helps them uh, in the lobby, he gives a little exposition. But other than that, you know, they it, it it's a little bit reminiscent to Ronin in that you just sort of learn what you need to know by running along with them and watching as the movie unfolds. Like, you right. don't have to have read one Dread comic to get every single thing out of this movie that there is to get. And uh, people act in a reasonable and intelligent way. Like the, you know, like the medic doesn't let them in when they want help. You know, they have this little, like they have a little medical clinic in the bottom of the building. It's like the infirmary, basically. And it's run by a guy who basically is like an EMT or a medic or something. And uh, when they, when they, the first, it's kind of the first place they go when they figure they're trapped and they're in trouble is that Dredd says, all right, we're heading over there. And then the, the place is sort of like a bank vault that can be locked down. And he, he refuses to let them in because he, <laughs> he, you know, he, he's he more tells, afraid, right? He's more afraid of mama. Yeah. I mean, he tells them that their chances are really poor and he has to stay out of it and he's going to just preserve himself and that's it. Right, and he and, kind of figures the judges will come and go, and Mama will still be there to get him. And it's and it's sort of he he says it, and it's sort of a defensible position. He's not really he's not being sinister. He just, you know, the, the dread accepts it too. I mean, dread doesn't even. <laughs> it's totally reasonable his position, right? So the fact that. No, that there's no stewing about it and there's no hand wringing about any of that makes the world seem that much more brutal. And, um, you know, I think it's much easier in a movie to not to, not to be so harsh, right? It's, it's much, when you make a movie that's this harsh, you're going to shut out a lot of potential audience 
in a way because people are going to tend not to like it. You know, they want to go to the movies and feel good. And um, this is not a feel good picture. This is although a the movie does give you picture. there is there is redemption at the end. And for example, like I think that the last two or three minutes of the movie are extremely rewarding for the viewer. And like, right. for example, there's, there's like, there's two bits in it that I think put the entire movie in context. One is when the, the senior judge says to dread after, you know, you've just witnessed all this sort of like harrowing violence and murder and death and destruction and dread gets shot, you know, and the judge says to him, uh, you know what happened there? And he goes, drug bust you know like like the whole thing is summed up in like yeah another drug bust like we'll have another one tomorrow you know like like he reduces the entire film to two words kind of in a verbal shrug right and it kind of like lets you the audience kind of breathe like oh like they're all gonna be okay and then and then more importantly when he says she's a pass yeah right and you see sort of like you know, just for a moment, like the little human side of dread, like like he can't let her go to waste, you know, even though she's given him her badge and she's under the impression that she's out. Right. Right. And she just got a pass from the, the toughest, you know, the toughest evaluator she could have had. Right. So but the, the movie, but I the think at the good. end, and that, that, that whole scene is kind of the code and it gives you a little bit of breather, like right before that, right before it wraps. Sure. But you, you realize that the big feel good moment in the entire movie is that dread says she she's a pass like he's not like great job buddy you really and he doesn't even say it to her he doesn't say a word to her right (laughs) no one i mean that's the big feel-good moment is 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 so subdued right and (laughs) but that's what makes the movie to me better no i agree you know what i'm saying like like if it was in, you know, if it was like if it was done worse, you know, he'd say it to her and they'd like hug it out or something, you know, and he, and Dredd would shed a tear from under no, his helmet or love, something, you know, like Dredd <laughs> would fall in love and retire. But uh, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like they they made the movie and they kept to that and and to get to that minuscule, that incredibly uh, minis- minimal moment of uh, of a heartwarming moment, um, hallmark moment. That it's like what passes for a hallmark moment in this movie, you have to wade through an hour of blood and guts. Two hours, two hours or whatever. Yeah. Uh, 95 minutes. I mean, up until the end of the movie, you don't really get the impression that he likes her. He's impressed with her at all. I mean, you know, he, there's that sort of like throwaway line. You look ready, you know? Yeah. Um, You're not, he clearly sort of his, he, she demonstrates willingness to i mean she's she acquits herself well right especially as time passes so you you think she might have a shot but you're still not sure in the end because he's not predictable right no it's true it's true and it's funny because i think the first time i saw it i forgot she was being evaluated in the middle of the movie and i didn't remember until the end when when the senior judge asks is she a pass or fail she says right uh and then i was like oh my god that's right i totally forgot about that now, have you seen, and I have not myself, but have you seen The Raid? So when this came out, and I haven't seen it, and like, for example, a buddy of mine who's very much into sort of like Hong Kong action movies, he said, oh, it's The Raid. So The Raid is a 2011 movie from Indonesia with a very similar plot. 
I haven't seen it, but I've watched clips of it on YouTube. And it's basically like a squad of cops has to go into a big high-rise building uh, that is run by a mob boss, drug lord, and the, the movie kind of focuses on sort of the least experienced member of the police force. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not seen it. I, I how, haven't how seen recent? it either. It's, it's 2011. It's a year before okay. this. But, but, but online, there's a lot of chatter that a lot of what they did in Dread was borrowed from this. Although, they would have had to have seen it and started stealing from it right away if it came out in 2011 and this came out in 2012. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I think it just probably is a similar action movie. I don't know if it's... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I haven't seen The Raid, which by all accounts is is quite good. Um, but a lot of similarities on the surface, at least. You know, I was surprised that they never made a sequel. Like, this just seemed so ripe for a sequel. You know? And well, five years I... have come and gone, and Carl Urban and has moved on. But I don't understand I don't why, you it, know, like, it didn't maybe it didn't that. make well, enough money. You know, this no, didn't make I... a ton of money. No, I mean Wikipedia says forty one point five million, which and is it nothing. Says budget was thirty to forty five, so it basically didn't make any money. And I don't know if how much money it made after. Um, yeah, I th- I mean almost everyone I know who saw this liked it, but when you mentioned this movie, very few people even saw it. Yeah, and again, I didn't even see it in the theater, and I like Judge Dread. Um, or you know, or they, you know, what else they could do? They could do this as a cable series. You know what I'm saying? Like, if they didn't want to make a movie for less money, like they could do this on Netflix or HBO, right? You know, like do 12 episodes, and well, I mean, you could do a lot. It. You could do a lot in the Dread universe. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff with mutants, and uh, there's there's extraterrestrials in some of the stories. Like, there's just a lot you could do with this. I'm just, I'm, I'm very surprised that this kind of stopped. Because I think there, I bet you there, people must have brewing. recognized that they they made a good movie. I'm sure it's brewing. I mean, you have so many different production houses working for for uh, for TV channels now, right? So then they're always looking for something good. So I bet you they're considering it. Yeah, I don't know though. I mean, we're five years out. You know, we're well, five years out. There's a the last line on the Wikipedia write up for this. In August 2017, Urban stated that he was in discussion to star in the in the series. It's a television series named Judge Dread Mega City One, huh. in development by I Am Global Telev- Television and Rebellion. Yeah, we'll see. Part of the problem is Urban's become a much bigger star in the last five years, right? You know, so his his price is going to go up. Although you could imagine that they could swap him out for somebody if they found somebody competent, given that they don't show his face. You know what I'm saying? Like as much as I like Carl Urban, if his if his salary is what keeps a thing from getting made, I'd rather they moved on to another actor who'll do it for less. Right. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's possible. Look, there's there's so many uh, there's so many avenues to make something like this into a into a series or a mini series. I mean, you also wonder why they don't make uh, they don't do animated movies. You know what I'm saying? I just like, think it's uh, never taken off like it did, like it has in Japan. You know, Judge Dread. No, no, I mean just animated things in general haven't taken off in the U.S. the same way. I mean, um, 
Like anime is there's has always a been few, fringy. There's a few Judge Dredd cartoons, but just not a ton. You know, it just seems like something they could do. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't. Know, I I really like it. And again, I I kind of I saw it at the insistence of a friend of mine, and and uh, I just I've been very impressed with it ever since. There's there's the they've made some graphic novels that are set in the movie universe as opposed to like the regular Judge Dredd universe. They set them in the Dread universe, and they're pretty good. Also, I don't know if you're if you like this at all, you might want to check out some of the graphic novels with the actual novels. They're pretty good, and the novels yeah. and the the graphic novels can sometimes cover other periods. Like like a very very popular period is is when Dread is young like the judge dread mm-hmm. year one they call it like when when he's fresh out of the academy or the there's a series of novels about uh anderson on her own that are very good too yeah i mean this is a this is a perfect kind of example of a good cult film because it didn't really do that well it sort of passed unnoticed through release but then it it gathered steam in afterward and the and people well I know made. who have seen it have seen it multiple times. Right. This is a good, you know, this and, is a, it's you a perfect can, sci-fi cult film. Basically, You can go back to the well. You can definitely go back to the well. They, they must have, uh, you know, like they must have purposely sort of mimicked a little bit of the feel of Blade Runner in some ways. And they must have also purposely not watched the 1995 version just, <laughs> just to, to stay away from it, you know, because any whiff of that is going to, people are just going to run from it. <laughs> oh man. Um, I don't know. I really like it. Like it's a movie that I'm, I try not to watch too much so that I don't overwatch it. Like maybe once a year, or every other year I'll, I'll pull out dread and watch it. But, uh, there's a lot to think about in there. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's good. It's we should a, do the nice raid. Piece. You know, if we, if we watch the raid, we should do a podcast on the raid. Um, yeah. Uh, what was I going to try say? to find it? Yeah, I can't imagine it's too hard to find. And you know, it's interesting, we're getting a little bit off topic, but there's a couple of Judge Dredd fan films, which are pretty interesting, too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of interested in fan films, even though most are terrible. Um, and uh, there's a lot of uh, chaff for a little bit of wheat there, but uh, some of the Judge Dredd fan films are actually pretty good. Hmm. Yeah. Too by much. the way, you know, if you by the way, we should do a podcast on fan films one of these days. There are some really interesting fan films to talk about. I know, but I you have to find like the two or three ones that are tolerable and get because I'm not <laughs> I can't tolerate reading. Most through. of them are terrible. Most of the ninety percent of the fan films on YouTube are two Star Wars fans uh, fighting with uh, lightsabers in in the woods. That's ninety percent of fan films on the internet right now, and you can just skip all of those. It's like watching your kids hack at each other with broomsticks. <laughs> that is like, exactly what it is. <laughs> I know. I mean, and, you know, come on. <laughs> well, I know, but that's why I'm saying we shouldn't do those. But I'm telling you, like, there's some Star Trek fan films that are great. There are some uh, Star Wars fan films that are great. There's one or two Mad Max fan films that are short but pretty well done. Uh, and there's, uh, there's some decent uh, Judge Dredd. Uh, fan films as well so you know it, it's the difference between you know two idiots and a camera and a bunch of people who really really give a crap and thought and planned and spent some money you know what i mean hmm. um but anyway any other thoughts on judge dread before we wrap no i think it's a 
it's a good little well-made little cult film and is well worth watching. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm, t- I'm telling you, like, if you haven't seen it and you're listening to this podcast, this is right up your alley. So, Ron, don't walk to your Walmart and buy it from the $3 bin <laughs> where I saw it yesterday. <laughs> All righty. All right. See you next All right. time. All right. We'll see you guys next week.